And now let me welcome the one and only UConn head coach, Dan Hurley. Dan, thanks for being here. Thanks for being my first guest on the show. All right, let's talk about this year's team. And I think for me, the biggest the biggest hole I think you have to fill is obviously James Booknight. But more than anything else, it's you get to an end of a clock. Uh, there's 10 seconds left on the shot clock. There's 15 seconds left in the game. You got to scheme something up. You got to draw up a play. Who's getting the ball? I think that's probably the biggest question that fans have at this point. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, you know, who, who's going to make those plays, you know, d- down the stretch, um, you know, down the stretch of those games. Um, you know, we, we feel like this team is probably, you know, you feel like you have two or three guys um, or at least two guys right now that we feel really, really, really you know, good about uh, what we're going to bring offensively, like guys that we feel like potentially, you know, could be 14 or higher a game um, because we feel like we got a ton of guys that are going to live from like six or seven to like 10, 11. You know, mm-hmm. we, we may have, we may have six or seven guys that live in that range uh, potentially. And then, you know, I think Adama, I don't think people, um, you know, and we've bet heavy on this, but I don't think people got a chance to see just how good that guy is. Um, I think late in the year last year, I think people got a glimpse at Seton Hall. You know, he was fantastic in a game that we had to win. You know, I think he had 16 and nine or close to a double double as a, as a freshman versus their front line in a, in a must win two bubble team game. Um, so I, I think he's going to prove himself potentially to be one of the best players in the league this year and one of the best bigs in the country. Uh, and then RJ Cole, I think from the perimeter, um, you know, I think we're going to turn him loose a lot more and let him be, you know, a lot more aggressive, uh, hunting his offense. And, um, you know, he's got a history of, of being able to produce at a high level, um, in college and, and, uh, you know, then you got other guys like Tyrese Martin and, you know, you know, Jordan Hawkins, uh, you know, as, as another guy that I think when people see him, uh, he's, a, he's going to be a serious, I think, impact player for us. Not in the same way as as book, but um, you know, in, in, in a shooter in, in a shooter score uh, type of way. So I I love I love I got another I got another person <laughs> again. Yes. Yeah. So RJ Cole, I feel like I always have to remind people that this kid averaged like what was it twenty four game when he was at Howard something like that, and last season he averaged twelve and four and a half assists. So it's not like this kid hasn't done it before. And, and I'm excited to see, I, I say kid, he's probably what, 23 years old. Now? <laughs> 90 years yeah, old. The full beard. I mean, the beard. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm excited to see um, what he can do this season. And, and look, Adama, man, like he's, I, I don't envy anybody that has to try to block him out on, on the defensive glass. Like that dude, it gets wherever he wants to go. Um, and you can win, like people, people said, Oh, how can you win the post? Not in modern basketball. Look, look at the teams that have won, you know, last year was, I think a little bit of an exception, but 2017 North Carolina won a title with, uh, with Kennedy Meeks and, um, I, I'm blanking on the other, but they played two bigs. Yeah. And they played in the national title game against the Gonzaga team that started Shemit Karnowski, who's seven foot one Mount <laughs> Poland. So uh, you can, yeah. You can win playing big guys at the college basketball level. I firmly believe that. And I'm excited to see uh, what you got in store for them. I'm also excited to see uh, what can happen when you let Tyrese and Andre kind of get out in the open floor and, and try to jump and dunk on somebody. Those guys are athletic. They're fun to watch. And I feel like your best teams are when you have athletes that can make things happen defensively and turn those into easy baskets. So the, the, what are the, the pick six turnovers? Yeah, that's right. Well, we're at our best um, you know, at Rody. 
you know, we were just so athletic and quick on the perimeter, you know, with the rim protection and, um, you know, we were able to get, uh, you know, our, our, you know, our EC Matthews, Jared Terrells, uh, Stan Robinson got those guys in the open court where, where they could make their plays. And, and, uh, you know, like Andre's in like the top, I mean, if Andre was in the NBA, just overall athletic ability, speed, quickness uh, above the rim. Um, you're talking about like at the absolute highest elite level of athletes. And, um, you know, he's obviously developing his identity as a player, but, you know, like he's tailor made for the way that we guard people and Tyrese, um, you know, Tyrese was having a great year last year. He obviously slumped, you know, the last couple games, but his numbers going into that like bad stretch to end the season, um, you know, were really impressive. So like those guys, I think, uh, are going to have a real chance with the opportunity and the way that we play this year, have a chance to break out. Yeah. And, and they're versatile too. Like Tyrese can kind of make some plays off the bounce a little bit too. Right. And Andre is not just an athlete. He, there's things that he can do. I mean, he, he didn't play that many minutes. He averaged almost uh, two assists a game um, last season. I love Isaiah Whaley too. Like guys that defend block shots and can also step out and knock down a three are kind of uh, the, the guys that I think are the biggest impact players at the college level. Here, here's, here's what I got for you. I think the two guys that are going to kind of be like, I, I don't mean to get all cliche, but like the breakout X factor, whatever kind of way you want to phrase it is one Jalen Gaffney and two or cook a cook, depending on kind of how healthy he is, because if you could put a cook out there, with Andre Jackson and Tyrese Martin, all of a sudden that's probably the most athletic three guys that are going to be on the court, um, you know, against anybody that you play. And then Jalen, I mean, he's got a chance here, right? We just talked about how how you might need someone at the end of a clock to go out and make a play. Well, that's kind of what he does. So I'm excited to see what he can do this season with a little bit more of an expanded role. Yeah, I mean, he uh, yeah, he's one of the few guys who was able to make plays and uh, you know in that Maryland game where we just. You know, we struggled when they switched and, uh, you know, you had to go make a play individually. We, you know, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was one of the few guys who was able to do that for us. Um, he's such a talented guy. He's got like really, really good size, Rob, you know, he's like really athletic. I mean, he's got a very good, you know, he's got a really good skill set. It's, you know, if he takes that, you know, that just like big jump sophomore junior year, like, you know, the, the sands and the hourglass are like slipping away. Like I've got to get really, really urgent about doing this right now. Like that's a guy with like really, really high level talent, like a guy that, you know, could start for us as we're, you know, kind of searching for who, who claims that like, you know, that starting spot on the perimeter next to RJ or potentially with Tyrese, like who's going to win that, um, you know, so what, what, you know, what, we'll see. And then a cook, I mean, Listen, that, that front court, you know, it, it's not it's it, it's not a joke. I mean, Adama, you know, you you, you know what I think of Adama. Like Isaiah Whaley's one of the best, like you know, bigger you know, bigger lineup four man. If he can make twenty five threes, him at the four is, you know, it's a joke how good you could be potentially. And then when he swings to the five, you know, he's uh, you know he probably even brings more value. Um, so now a cook. With the shot blocking, if, if he could be a three-point threat with, with the length, you know, what he would do for us to go from top 30 defense maybe to a top top 15 defense in the country. Um, you know, and then you know, and then other guys like Samson Johnson, who I think has got he's got wall potential. Um yep. wall means you know, lottery picks go on the wall in this building, and there's a bunch of them over my right shoulder. He's got he's got wall potential. 
So th- let's talk a little bit about those freshmen, uh, Rasul Diggins, Jordan Hopkins, and, and Samson Johnson. Um, what are you expecting out of them? What kind of impact are they going to have right away? And is it nice to be able to have like a full offseason to kind of get those freshmen acclimated as opposed to last year when you couldn't do anything? Yeah. And, and Rob, it's like the program has grown and the way you know and can tell is that like if we were going into year one, like two or three of those guys would be starting, no doubt. And, and the third would be battling to start potentially. And, you know, now they're, they're, they're battling for role, you know, and, um, you know, b- because we've got such quality up and down the roster. Um, now they're both going to have a chance to have like a huge impact. I mean, Jordan's in the, Jordan's potentially in the, in the mix, uh, you know, maybe you can start, you know, depending on how this shakes out these next couple of weeks, um, you know, with the close scrimmages and stuff, but like his, uh, you know, his shooting and, uh, his ability to get into his shot quickly, not just catch and shoot, but, you know, off of an action, like full speed, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's next level type of stuff. Um, he's getting tougher. He's getting better defensively. You know, it's about like, you know, the, for any of these young guys, um, you know, can, can he make less mistakes by the time the opener kicks off and these games start counting, you know, cause you know, it's, it's about like a lot of time getting five guys on the court that, don't make you lose by doing really dumb shit, you know? Um, and then, you know, Samson, you know, so Jordan, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, you, you got a good sense that he's going to be, um, you know, potentially an early entry guy, um, not in the same way as book, but maybe that dynamic as a shooter over the course of his time here and size. Uh, and then Samson, I mean, he's the six ten guy that moves like a guard and, and uh, puts so much flash stuff um on, on film every day and here dunks and blocks and, and, and ridiculously athletic moves that um, like a young Danny early, right? I was, <laughs> I had to work so hard to get to play at that level. It's, I was burnt out by the end. Um, so yeah, no, these guys are uh, those two guys in particular, like, I mean, they, they've got, you know, you know, Samson's competing with Isaiah for minutes and, you know, and a cook for minutes and Adama to a certain degree because they're, you're trying to pair up some guys potentially at the four and five. So, um, you know, he's, he's battling his, his butt off for, uh, for minutes in a row this year, Samson, but like wall potential as like that positionless, you know, athletic freak with skill. So I, I do just also want to shout out Corey Floyd. Um, I, I know he reclassified. He's going to have to work his way into the rotation if he's going to get into the rotation. But I do think that that kid is going to end up being a very, very good guard for the program for two, three, four years, however long he ends up staying there. Tough, athletic, defense, everything that you want to see out of a UConn team. And, and to me, that's kind of why I'm so excited about this group moving forward. And we can end it with this. So you have a whole bunch of guys that are going to get out there and guard. And I feel like what – when, when, when Jim had his best teams here, right, when Coach Calhoun had his best teams, they were always more athletic and bigger, and they blocked shots, and they forced turnovers, and that's kind of what they hung their hat on. Yes, there were NBA players, and that's kind of why they went from being really good to being national title good. Uh, mm-hmm. They had shot makers on the floor as well, but to me, this kind of gets back that your group right now gets back to what UConn's roots are, which is they're going to guard you. They're going to make it a nightmare to come to Hartford to come to stores and they're going to, they're going to block shots. You're not going to get anything easy around the paint. And if you put the ball on the floor around them, it might get taken. So uh, I'm excited to see what you can do with this group. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely recruit to it. And, um, you know, it's a mentality. I think, you know, it's just, you know, the way my dad's teams always played and yeah. growing up in Jersey city and, you know, the, the way the game is played in, in North Jersey is like, you know, the the very best teams, oftentimes they punk the other team by how hard they play. And, and it was something that was somewhat uh, intimidating about a team that's just so relentless um, and makes you uncomfortable and takes things away from you and, um, you know, chases you off the three-point line and pressures the ball and challenges you at the rim. There's something that is incredibly draining about that. Now, if, if you put around that like an unselfish culture and then, you know, you, you get some like really good players that you can get the ball in the hands of, you know, you could have great seasons. Now, you know, the NCAA tournament, it's got to line up for you. You've got to get, obviously, you know, the you know, matchups that are good for you. you got to probably catch a break in a game. But if you hang your hat on, on those things um, and that type of mentality, you can have great seasons and eventually you'll make the run and we'll get the fifth yep. banner. Yep. That's exactly the way that I view it, man. Well, listen, I appreciate the time. Uh, thank you for being here. I'm going to leave you with one of these. You Coach, I appreciate you, man. All right, man, let's go. Before we move on, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up for Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their rush pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, it's more secure, and it's more reliable. Now that basketball season is tipping off, get in on the action at betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And while I got you here, let's talk about the Field of 68 Media Network, where college basketball matters most all year round. This is a digital media and podcast network that we've been building over the course of the last year. We have shows hosted by some of your favorite players covering the program that they love the most. AJ Guyton hosts the House of Hoosier. Eric Devendorf covers Syracuse on the scorer's table. Dan Dickow hosts the Gonzaga Bulldog broadcast. We have Florida's Patrick Young and Duke's Andre Dawkins and North Carolina's Shimon Williams and Michigan's Stu Douglas and Illinois' Deion Thomas. The list goes on and on and on. We have more than 30 shows right now. So hit the links below and check them all out. And while you're at it, make sure that you go check out the Field of 12 Media Network, your home for college football. Let's get the experts' opinions on UConn basketball. And to do that, we have UConn Huskies beat reporter David Borges from Hearst, Connecticut Media, as well as the field of 68's Rob Doster, who has broken out his old school, there's nothing like the old school UConn Huskies logo, and he's broken it out here on this Monday morning. Gentlemen, it's great to have you with us here. Let's talk UConn basketball. Last season, a 15-8 and campaign. The program gets to the NCAA tournament for the first time in the Dan Hurley era, and they got back on track. They became nationally relevant again, and they did it behind James Booknight. So, David Borges, I ask you, what is the biggest question that you are asking with UConn Huskies hoops heading into this season? 
Well, yeah, there's a lot of them, really. But, yeah, I mean, replacing Book Knight, you can't replace him with one guy. No one's going to average 19, 20 points a game. How are they going to make up for that? Whether it's going to be kind of a, you know, player-by-committee type of deal, uh, different guys stepping up each night, um, <clears throat> utilizing their team depth. I'd say that's probably the biggest question entering this season. I do think that they'll be okay with that. And I think Dan Hurley doesn't even want to, you know, he, he's confident that that's not going to be a big issue. But uh, when you look at the way they played with Book Knight without him, um, although they did, you know, other guys did kind of step up and mature a little bit when he was gone. And then when he returned, he didn't play great all the time. And other guys also played well in some of those later season games. So I do think that's probably the biggest question. But there's a few of them entering the season. Yeah, the, the biggest issue is going to be how do they score, right? Because so much of what they did offensively last year was, all right, we're going to run some stuff. We got 10 seconds left in the shot clock now. All right, just give it to Book and let him go create something, right? And you don't really have that guy anymore. Um, I do think that R.J. Cole can probably step up and do a couple more things. I think that uh, Jalen Gaffney is going to be asked to to kind of take on a bigger role and, and kind of spearhead more stuff offensively. And I do hope that they, they go a little bit more – uh, press heavy, they try to force some turnovers. They try to get easy baskets and transition so you don't have to worry about going up against a set defense. But, I mean, that's – scoring is the major question mark. When you lose a guy like Booknight and you don't have any obvious person to replace him, that's always going to be the question. UConn was right at the top of the Big East and really nationally in defense and rebounding. That's never a question. And it always gets amplified on the offensive end when – you also are flawed in those areas. They're not flawed in those areas, Dave, because they bring back the, the reigning Big East co-defensive player of the year in Isaiah Whaley, the wrench. You have Adama Sanogo, who should be able to take that next step. And it, it sounds like the amount of respect Sanogo's gotten from his teammates, based on what I'm sensing, and just how high Dan Hurley is on, on his potential we started to see it in flashes at the end of last season from Sonogo. But I think that that's the, the biggest thing is, you know, when a team steps on the floor, that team knows, my goodness, when we have the ball in the interior or when we're defending the interior, it's going to be a long night. Well, and let's not forget, a cook, a cook, if he's anything close to what he was as a freshman, that's a huge infusion of, of uh, rim protection and athleticism up front. Um, you got a, a freshman named Samson Johnson. Now, I don't know how, you know, freshmen, it's tough for them to come in and make immediate big impacts, but he's a long kid, another shot blocking type. Then you got Andre Jackson, who Dan Hurley thinks might be one of the best defensive players in the country. Um, certainly athletic and certainly long arms and, and tough defensively. Tyrese Martin's a very good defensive player, very good rebounder. Defense is not going to be an issue for them. Sonogo, Sonogo's thing, he's got to stay out of foul trouble. He's got to stay on the court. He's got to reduce the fouls. But um, the thing with him, he, he's going to be there. He might be a guy, as Rob mentioned, who's going to be the guy, the go-to scorer. It might be Adama Sonogo, which is a little different from Dan Hurley's typical uh, college teams, but as a big man. But um, he might be the guy. But he'll also be a defensive force as well. Hmm. Now that's, that's interesting because uh, that would be different from a lot of the way that teams play, especially in 2021. So, you know, Rob, you brought it up with R.J. Cole and with, uh, with his increased role potentially. He definitely stepped up when Booknight went down uh, last year and was out for a, a substantial period of time. UConn had to figure out a way to stay afloat. And they, they did find a way to win the games that they absolutely had to win. And when Book comes back, things, things get uh, relatively back on track. 
What I'm curious with here, Rob Doster, is as you look at it, you grew up watching this program um, and, and have a close uh, affiliation with UConn basketball as being passionate about it. The, the program gets to the big dance for the first time since 2016. When you think about Dan Hurley and their recruiting and where they are in the Big East, what would you say is, should be the feel around this program of where they are and where they need to go? Well, I, I feel good about it because it's nice to actually care again. You know, there was a while at the end of Kevin Alley's tenure where it was just kind of, you know, UConn's playing these games against like Tulsa and South Florida, and they're not good and they're losing games and there's just no chance of getting to the NCAA tournament. And it's like, what's the point of even, what's the point of caring right now? It's just that everything was bad. And, um, you know, I, I know that, that, Dan hasn't gotten this program back to where he wants it to be because I think that what he wants to do is get the final fours and win national titles. That's kind of, you know, what the expectation is when you're the head coach at UConn, but it's just, it's nice to care again. It's nice to be, it's nice to feel like UConn basketball matters, especially nationally. And uh, I, I, I do think it's promising. Like, I, I don't know if UConn's ever going to be in the mix for some of like the five star and the one and done guys. I, I don't know if they're ever going to be kind of in the, you know, competing with Memphis and Kentucky and Duke, but I don't think that you have to, to be able to have success there. I, I think, you know, we've seen it with programs like Villanova and Baylor. Um, sometimes the best thing that you can do is go out and get these, these two, three, four year guys that are maybe four star prospects that could end up being, James Booknights. It can end up being guys like Jared Butler or Davion Mitchell, or could end up being some of these Villanova players that go off and play in the NBA. I think that's what you need. And you look at some of the guys they got coming in this year from, from Rasul Diggins. And, uh, you know, I, I love Corey Floyd. I, I don't know if he's actually going to play this season, but to me, he's a guy that, you know, two, three, four years, you can kind of use him as a cornerstone of what you want to do in a Dan Hurley program. So I'm, I'm very bullish on them. Uh, and maybe I'm, just a little bit biased, but I, I feel very good about where this program is heading. And, and Dave, I'm kind of curious uh, your opinion on this. I think the addition of Luke Murray is going to be really, really good for this program. I think he's so sharp. I think he's so smart. I love him as a basketball mind. I, I, we talked about getting easy baskets, right? I think he's going to scheme two, three, four plays a game where you can actually get a wide open shot or get a layup off of that just from having that guy on the bench with you. Yeah, huge. And, and from a recruiting aspect, too, he's, a, he's an excellent recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, he, he's a huge pickup for them. I know Dan's always liked him from afar, and uh, he's here now. And, uh, and his dad might come to a few games, too, so that'll be fun as well. <laughs> Previously uh, on the Xavier sidelines and right behind the bench, and he would be everywhere. I mean, I was walking out of Carnesecca Arena one night, and there's Bill Murray just by the bus stop in Jamaica, Queens. I was like, this is unbelievable, but he is, he is a, he's not a fan. He is like, he becomes embedded with that program. I mean, that's how often Bill Murray is around. So that'll be, I can only imagine the possibilities that has with the, uh, the fans in stores. I, I, it's limitless. It truly is limitless. uh, When you think about that, you know, let's stay with the freshmen because you brought up Corey Floyd's name and Dave, you brought up Samson Johnson, Russell Diggins, Jordan Hawkins, just being on campus about 10 days ago, I can sense Russell Diggins is going to potentially play some sort of an immediate impact role of some sort. What that is, we'll see. But Hawkins and Diggins, it seems like that guard play, just because there are some questions to be answered from a depth standpoint, these freshmen, yeah, they've got four stars next to their name, but there's – 
an opportunity for them, Dave, to step into this program and, and make something happen. And, and I feel like there's kind of a need with it, with all the questions you have post-book night. Yeah, you know, Diggins, I love Diggins. I've only really, you know, been in contact with him a couple of times uh, with availabilities and the things like that, but he just exudes confidence. He's uh, kind of reminds me of Christian Vital and his, you know, confidence slash cockiness, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's, it's um, he's brash, and I, I think he's going to be a very popular guy on this team uh, for a few years and for the, for the ensuing years. Uh, but Hawkins is the guy who I think can have a real big impact right off the bat. He's a he's a six five guy. He's a great athlete and a great shooter. So you know that what what a great mix that is. And um, and you know Samson Johnson, as you mentioned before, Dan Hurley the other day said basically he's going <laughs> to it's going to be a quote that we're going to uh, you know throw back at him for all season probably, but. He said that they, uh, Samson Johnson and Jordan Hawkins have wall potential. And what he means by that is that on, on UConn's practice facility on the wall, um, there are banners for all of all of their lottery picks, NBA lottery picks, and book nights will be going up at some point soon. Um, and he says that you know Samson Johnson and Jordan Hawkins have the potential to be up there. Now we know coaches exaggerate preseason and it's a rite of passage in college basketball, but he likes these guys and they certainly have a lot of ability. Yeah, and those are the guys that you need to target, right? The guys that, that maybe aren't necessarily the most highly recruited players, but the guys could, that could end up hitting that level at some point. And, and you know, you mentioned Diggins and then kind of the backcourt. Um, part of the reason I think it's so important to kind of develop that depth is I think it's very interesting. Assuming a Coca Cook can get back to 100%, lineups where you can go with Tyrese Martin, Andre Jackson, and a Coca Cook at the 3 4 5, all of a sudden that becomes really athletic and really interesting and something where you could probably force a lot of turnovers kind of get into your press a little bit, and that's where you can get some easy baskets out of it. So um, being able to, to have some of those freshmen step in and eat up some of those minutes, I think, is big. Yeah, Diggins certainly has – Diggins has some competition at point, no, no question, too, with, uh, with R.J. Cole and Jalen Gaffney. But I think he'll find a way in there and make, make some contributions this year. And you're right about the, these type of recruits. And the funny thing is, um, you know, even Jim Calhoun, really, those are the kind of recruits he ended up getting for the most part. I mean, a guy, you know, a guy like Andre Drummond, he was a local guy who just wanted to play for UConn. And we all knew he was going to be one and done anyway. But um, for the most part, um, that's, what, that's what UConn has thrived on, those, those four-star type guys, even three-star guys who just played, came here, improved for four years and, uh, you know, won Big East championships and national championships. Yeah, I mean, Mecca Okafor wasn't necessarily a five-star guy. Kemba Walker wasn't a five-star guy. Shabazz Napier wasn't a five-star guy. Like that, that's, that's their bread and butter is you get them into the program, you develop them, you coach them up, you make them better, and all of a sudden, two, three, four years later, you have a UConn legend and hopefully a national title. Yeah, I mean, and if, any, if anything's shown us the last five years, it's that the three- or four-year guy in college basketball, whether he's with the program for three or four years or whether he's a transfer who's coming into the program for his third, fourth, or fifth year, uh, that that pans out better. Look, it's, it's sexy to get the five-star in your recruiting cycle, uh, but come March – I talk about this all the time with Rob. The television ratings for March Madness do not reflect uh, what what stars are next to someone's name. They speak for themselves. March Madness sells itself. And, and who's winning in March Madness? The teams with experienced rosters, deep rosters, and guys that stick around. UConn has that. Like, I'm sitting down a couple weeks ago, and I'm thinking when, when Tyler Polly and Isaiah Whaley come to sit down, and even Cole, for that matter, that's the thing in college basketball this year is there are grown men, legitimately grown men 
that are stepping in here, guys that have been around the block four, five. There are some guys who've been around the block six times as they're embarking on this season. And, and I think that when you lose the star power of book night, you hope that you have a good amount of experience to keep the expectation level going. And I think that with UConn, that that is the case. The question that we're all asking is, okay, 90 seconds left in a game, tie game. It's 64-64 because I think UConn games are going to be first to 65 wins this year. Who the heck is Dan Hurley going to go to? Is it going to be a musical chairs type thing? Or is there an alpha to this team that says, I'm taking the ball, I'm the one that's hitting this? I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily an alpha, so to speak, but I do think that R.J. Cole is kind of the guy that can step in and, and fill that role a little bit. He's someone that can create off the bounce. When he was at Howard, he scored a ton of points. And, you know, I, one thing I do think hasn't gotten discussed enough about UConn heading into the season is, is last year was just so stop and start and herky-jerky for him. It felt like there were five different seasons in one season because you had all of the kind of COVID pauses and COVID shutdowns. You had a, the, the start of the season where Book Knight was there. Then he got hurt, and you had, a, had to figure out how to play without him. Then he came back, and after you figured out how to play without him, you had to figure out how to play with him again. So it never felt like there was really enough continuity and consistency in terms of what that team was on the floor. Um, so I do think that that's something that will help them out this year where you, you kind of know what you are at this point, right? You don't have to figure it out with book night. You don't have to throw stuff against the wall when he's going to try to make it work. You can, you can start now today as practice is starting and, and build this program and this team the way you need it to. But to answer your question, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm Dan Hurley and I need a, a bucket at the end of a clock, I'm probably putting the ball in R.J. Cole's hands and figuring it out from there. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, Dan, uh, yeah, no question. He's talked about R.J. Before last season, he mentioned that R.J. Cole as, as kind of a guy who can be sort of a go-to guy, I mean, even with Book Knight there. Um, no question, he's expecting a lot from Cole this year. I think he could ride you – can, you can always ride the hot hand in a particular game. If someone's hot, you can go there. And, uh, and just to get – you know, getting back to Sonogo again, I know we, we kind of think of like, you know, shooting now for a three-point, a game-winning three-pointer or things like that. But, you know, he can go inside to, to Adama. He can beat he's, – he's terrific around the rim. Um, uh, so he could be a go-to guy as well. So there's a few different guys. But it'll be interesting to see how it develops over the season. Yeah, and, and Tyrese Martin is an underrated offensive rebounder. Sometimes your best form of offense comes on the glass. Like for UConn, that is legitimately going to be the case at times this season, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they might win a game this year 63-61 to 61, and would not surprise me at all and might not be pretty, but it doesn't matter because to them they're going to show up and they're going to try to beat the tar out of you because that's, that's what this program's going to be physically. That's, that's, that's actually a really good point. I think their best offense might just be, all right, give it to RJ and then let Andre, Tyrese, uh, Isaiah Whaley, and Adama go get an offensive rebound and a putback. That might be their best offense at times. Yeah, I mean, if Tyler Polly gets hot in a game like he did last year, then it's a Tyler Polly made shot at certain points and, oh, if he misses it, we've got two trucks downstairs who could, could make something happen or, or at least make a team work for what they're going to get. So let's, let's transition to the schedule. All right, Rob, I'll start with you, then we'll, then we'll go to Dave on this one, and then we'll, we'll swivel it back around. So when you lose a star and you have a new look, good to kind of ease your way in. I like this schedule because I think, I think it's properly positioned. Like Central Connecticut, Coppin State, LIU, Binghamton, they're, they're going to start the season 4-0. 
then then you have the battle. Don't don't jinx it, man. Don't jinx that. <laughs> okay, battle for Atlantis. If they don't start the season four and zero, there might be a fire, and uh, I might have to you know be be petitioned to to go out there or something and issue an apology. Sorry. <laughs> then they go to the battle for Atlantis. I love this event. I think that this has become this has become the premier event in the sport. And my goodness, this year's field is absolutely terrific with storylines. You face Auburn, an Auburn team that's going to be top 15, top 20. Then you have Michigan State or Loyola Chicago, quality. Uh, and then we'll see what happens on the other side of the bracket. You've got Syracuse in there. You've got Arizona State in there. Interesting. Uh, but it's a loaded field. You have Maryland Eastern Shore Grambling. Then they go to West Virginia in the Big East Big 12 battle. My Lord, to be in Morgantown on Wednesday night, December 8th, when UConn comes back to West Virginia to face West Virginia. And then I, I think they really capitalized. I applaud UConn for this. This was a game that was being thrown around to different locals, I, and, and UConn ended up getting it here with St. Bonaventure in New Jersey. St. Bonaventure is going to be a quality team. I appreciate UConn taking on a game against a team that should make the NCAA tournament should be very good. Um, that, that's a quality non-con game too, before they open up big East play. So Rob, when you think about that non-conference schedule, then leading into the big East, what do you think? Well, I mean, there's not, there's not a ton on the schedule for the, the home fans in November and December, right? They're not going to get uh, too much to get excited about, but uh, you look, I love that we're going to get a chance against West Virginia again. Um, I, I, I agree with you that getting St. Bonaventure on the schedule is, uh, I mean, look, that's, that, that's a very, very good, well-coached basketball team. I don't know what they're going to be ranked at the time. I don't know how people are going to kind of view that win if they get that win. Um, but it's, I mean, that's a good, well-coached, solid basketball team and basketball program. But I mean, the highlight is the battle for Atlantis, right? Like I'm just, I'm just sitting here hoping that we end up getting uh, Syracuse in, in the title game. I mean, there's, there is literally nothing better than UConn-Syracuse non-conference games. It's only a shame that it's not being played in the Garden. That's what we need, UConn-Syracuse in the Garden. It should never be played anywhere else. They should move it back to the Garden before they – Yeah, play. right? <laughs> Dave? And, and by the way, I, I, it, it seems like Syracuse isn't getting a whole lot of love in the preseason. From what I'm seeing, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think they're going to be pretty good. I mean, they're yeah. going to be able to shoot as well as anybody, which, you know, it's kind of a, maybe a little bit di- differently uh, – constituted team, but I think Syracuse is going to be a pretty good team this year. Um, you know, you talk about storylines, Arizona State, that would be fun. I know two people who don't want that to happen, Dan and Bob Hurley. Um, and, 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 and quite frankly, um, you know, I, I don't know if that'll be the greatest matchup for UConn because in, in the sense that it's not, you know, I think State's a little bit down this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, um, St. Bonnie's excellent team. I mean, got to be the Far, runaway favorites to win the A-10 this year. Uh, I think they could be a nationally ranked team throughout much of the season. The two kids from Putnam Science Academy, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but the rebound, oh, is it Osunye? Osunye? Yeah, Osunye? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the kid Lofton, they're, they're going to be very good. Uh, West Virginia is always tough with Bob Huggins. You're right, the home, the home schedule, Rob, uh, you know, fans are understandably not happy about it. One thing that's interesting, too, is that um, – you know, Dan Hurley wanted to try to get an exhibition game in just to get the players in front of the home fans again. And it, as it turns out, it looks like it's going to end up being just two close. They're going to play two secret scrimmages, scrimmages and um, jump right into the home schedule. But again, Central Connecticut, Coppin State, Long Island, uh, Binghamton. I mean, you know, that's a pretty soft, soft opening, you would think. Of course, a few years ago, they lost their first two uh, home games of the season to, what was it, um, BU and uh, I think Wagner, I believe. 
So, but that was, that was, those are the dark Yukon days. I think I blocked that out of my memory. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, the, the one thing I do think is going to be interesting is, is I think Auburn's going to be kind of the real test for them too. And, and maybe to a point West Virginia, but I think Auburn's going to be better than West Virginia this season because Auburn kind of plays the, the similar style, right? Like if you look at the ideal for what UConn wants to be, I feel like it's kind of like an Auburn team where you get up and down and you try to force turnovers. Um, and, and if UConn can play with them and beat them, I mean, they're going to be that good. Like that's, that's the real test to me is like this, this is your style. This is who you're going up against. It's not a styles makes fights. It's kind of strength on strength and be able to see what they can do against them. Um, you, you mentioned Syracuse. I feel like UConn and Syracuse are the exact opposites this season, right? Syracuse, Houston just has a bunch of guys and all they want to do is shoot threes. They're probably not going to really play defense. Then you got UConn. We don't know where the scoring is going to come from, but all they do is defend and rebound. If you could just take the Syracuse shooting and then everything else from UConn and put it on the same team, you got, I mean, that team's winning the national title, right? <laughs> yeah. And you excellent point about Auburn too. And you know, a lot of talk about how this could be one of UConn's best front courts in a while. And they could have one of the better front courts in the nation. And, and I would agree with that. They could, I mean, a lot of things have to go right. People have to be healthy and things like that. But Auburn, right off the bat, I mean, that's going to be as tough a front court as there is in the country. So that, that'll be interesting to see how that – that'll be a very, very tough challenge uh, to open up the, uh, the battle for Atlantis to UConn. You brought up, Rob, that they don't really have much to, to write home about in terms of home non-conference games. Well, it's almost like they got compensated back for, for in Big East play because of some of the timing of these games. So here's what I look at. UConn in the NCAA tournament picture, kind of in need of maybe that extra February surge to help where they lie in that picture. This is quite the setup here. And for me, it's my key week of the season for this UConn team. February 16th, Wednesday night at Gamble, they host Seton Hall. February 19th at Gamble, that Saturday, they host Xavier. Two teams that, that should be in the top half of the Big East. And teams that, frankly, for UConn, the expectation is you're winning those home games. Let's see what happens. Then you build up Tuesday, February 22nd. The rare three-game conference homestand concludes February 22nd. By this time of the season, you know, UConn should be in their top form. They should know who they are. And if they're going to do it, February 22nd in Hartford, it's a Tuesday night. It's an 8 o'clock game against Villanova. Like, to me – that is the key stretch of conference play. And, oh, by the way, UConn fans, the conference did not hesitate to give you a home opener in the league opener. It is Saturday, December 18th. It is at 5 o'clock. It's an evening game. That is like the perfect game if you like to drink beer because you, <laughs> could, you could drink all day, go to the game, and then drink after the game. What the heck, Dave Borges, is the state of Connecticut going to look like on Saturday, December 18th, when UConn hosts Providence in the Big East Conference opener? I love it, man. I'm a Rhode Islander. I grew up, I grew up a Providence fan. Um, and I know that uh, Providence fans, for, for the most part, over the past 25, 30, 40 years, have considered this a rivalry far more than UConn fans have. But I do think it's coming, it's coming around to UConn fans. The Friars... In, in last 10, 15 years, have been pretty pesky towards UConn, uh, or even before that, even, you know, obviously Ryan Gomes and, and those games. And um, obviously, Ed Cooley's done a good job turning that program around. So I do think that uh, there's more of a rivalry there on both sides. Both fan bases feel that. And I do think UConn fans will be ready to, to 
kind of be back in the house for an actual Big East game against a local rival. Uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy. And, and, you know, and we'll see how good Providence is this year. I think they, they should be decent. They Watson back and all that. But um, UConn's going to be out for blood in that game, no question. Yeah, I mean, look, that needs to be a great rivalry, right? You, it's 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 Connecticut and, and Rhode Island. It's UConn and Providence. That needs to be a rivalry. So uh, I, I'm really hoping that, that ends up being as intense as expected, and especially moving forward. Like I, that needs to be a you don't you don't often get two states that are they're kind of like that close with the, as much overlap as you have between Rhode Island and Connecticut. So yeah, let's make this thing a rivalry. Yeah, that February stretch, uh, by the way, for UConn talks about that homestand. Really interesting setup on their schedule in February. Super Bowl weekend, they're at Villanova, at Wells Fargo. The following weekend, the following Sunday, they're at St. John's on a Sunday. It's a Sunday high noon game in New York City at MSG against the St. John's team that would like a word with UConn, and UConn would like a word with St. John's on who is the second, who's the third best team in this league this year, where do the Huskies finish in the Big East Conference this season? I'll take that one first. I, I think they can finish anywhere from probably second to fifth, uh, and I wouldn't be that – I mean, there's really not that much – to me, it's, it's kind of Villanova's the favorite, and then from the second to fifth is going to end up being like you have four teams that are kind of going to be in that like what, uh, 14 to 6 to 12 and 8 range in league play. Um, but I mean, they're, they're right there with, with, with all of those teams, whether it's Seton Hall or St. John's or whoever, I, I think there's a, my take is that if you end up finishing second in, in the big East this season, it's a very successful year. And if you finish fifth, that's, there's nothing wrong with that considering the strength of this league at the top. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I wish I could say something uh, controversial and disagree with you, but two through five makes sense. I mean, I like Xavier a lot. I love Fremantle and Scruggs. That's two really good players. That and the thing with the thing about it is too with UConn for me. Yes, they lose James Booknight. That's huge, but they have basically everybody else back. I mean, Josh Carlton and Brendan Adams are gone, but they didn't contribute a whole lot last year. And they didn't take in any transfers, which I think is very interesting. They're one of the few, um, you know, major conference teams that didn't take a single transfer. And they they tried for a couple of guys, didn't work out. But I think that's big. See, you know, you look at Seton Hall, and people have some expectations from them, and they could be good. Um, you know, Kadari Richmond, very good player. UConn was interested in him. I love Alexis Yetna. I saw him play at South Florida a lot. Um, he could be a real big concept. But the thing is, you get all these new guys into a program, you don't know necessarily how it's going to mix, right? There you go. Uh, so with UConn, they have – they didn't take in anyone new, other than the, the freshmen who are very talented, and we'll see what their roles are. But um, – I think that's big. And like you mentioned, reigning defensive player of the year in Whaley, railing six-man award, reigning six-man award with uh, Tyler Polly. I mean, you know, there wasn't a lot of competition for that award, but he, he, he got it. He deserved it. Uh, you know, I just think it's that cohesiveness, the fact that they all know each other, they played together for most of them for two, three, four years. That's big. Yeah, here's where I fall. And I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Rob. If UConn finishes fifth in the Big East, I think fans are going to be disappointed. I, I would be disappointed in that. I, I don't think that this team should finish fifth in the conference um, because, to me, they're, they need to finish in the top four of this league. And I know you might say there's not that big of a difference between four and five. Uh, but you know what? This team should be a top four team in the Big East. They do not have a ton of unanswered questions. 
they have a question that they need to answer with a star that was outstanding, but they played with that star, without that star for a period of time last year, and now they go into this season and they know that they have to be better and that certain guys have to take the jump. The expectation for UConn should be to be at the top of the Big East. The fact is that's not in all likelihood going to happen this year if Villanova stays fully healthy and Villanova is who they are. So if you're looking at it from that standpoint and you went to the NCAA tournament last year, let's bear in mind, Xavier, Seton Hall, they didn't make the tournament last year. Uh, even a Butler team, I think that's getting slept on. Like I, I think that Butler's an interesting team in this league because they do bring back over 90% of their scoring from last year. And they were so freaking young and they had tons of COVID stoppages. I think this league, yes, has a middle, a middle that could be undefined. UConn, though, should define themselves as a top three or four team in the Big East this year. Because if, if they're not, and if they're falling more towards five or six, a team this old and a team this deep, they need to be near the top. They need to be closer to the top than they are to the middle. That's my opinion on this team. And, and I think that this is a team that, that, frankly, has to be thinking about the way that the Maryland game went last year. It was a disaster. It was not a good performance. It was a rough way to go out. With this kind of senior leadership and with where the program is positioned, the goal should be to, to be getting to a Big East championship game and winning a game in the NCAA tournament. From there, you see what happens on, on the draw. What do you think, Dave? Yeah. No, oh, no question. And I think that's absolutely the expectation with this group. Uh, Dan Hurley's, you know, burned it into their uh, – you know, in their memories that those, the last, not only the, the, the Maryland game, but the last five or six minutes of the, the Creighton uh, Big East semifinal game where RJ Cole got hurt, but then the team just kind of collapsed. Um, uh, it's been a theme, major theme of his. They're on a mission. I think they're very confident they're going to be a, a top two, three team in the Big East. I agree that anything lower than that would be somewhat of a disappointment. I do, tough, it's a tough league to figure out. They, they just look at, I mean, I see Creighton getting a lot of love. Um, I know they brought in an incredible recruiting class, but they lost everybody. Oh, yeah. And to me, it's hard to, hard to pick them. Maybe they will, but it's hard to, for me to pick them in the top four or five of the league. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I agree. UConn, uh, anything, you know, four or five, fourth or fifth in the Big East, I would, I would say, yeah, I think fans would be disappointed in that. Well, let's play. I mean, let's, let's hoop. Let's see what happens here this year. In stores uh, for the UConn Huskies, an NCAA tournament appearance last year. The program definitely trending in a better direction. Will they be able to generate enough offense? If they do, watch out. Watch out. This team might be better than we even all think at first glance. Rob Doster from the Field of 68. You can follow us at the Field of 68. These are our 50 team previews, our top 50 teams with a coach, with a panel every single time around. We're building up towards tip-off, and you can follow David Borges. Does a great job with Hearst Connecticut Media. Follow him all season long covering the Huskies. I'm John Fanta, and thanks for watching.